Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? That was uh, weird. You might have heard that the mic stand was j- jiggling around because I was moving it towards myself, but then also I'm sick, so that sounds weird also. So, so yeah, today's actually going to be the Wounded Warriors episode because Ben is sick and I actually, my t- card got totaled. That was exciting. Yeah. I mean, in a totally horrible way. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely, it's insane how quick airbags pop out of your car. When someone hits you. <laughs> I've never uh, had to do the airbag thing. That was the first time. I, I've never even seen like an airbag opened. Freak, did it freak you out? Uh, there's like a three second period, I think, of my life that I just don't remember anymore. That three but, seconds? That, like the moment I was literally like mid-sentence explaining uh, who I think Jon Snow's parents are okay. uh, <laughs> to the people in the car. And then the next zone, I'm like, airbags are out. I'm like sitting in my car. It's kind of like there's like smoke coming out of the airbags and just like chaos <laughs> right i i'm cu- i am curious to know who john snow's parents are but uh we could talk about that at the end of the cast <laughs> okay that'll be, that'll be that'll be our uh <laughs> i thought we were going to talk about something else i thought we were talking about civil war we can talk okay both let's let's all you ever want to do is talk about game of thrones oh, all i want to do you pretty much think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world uh civil war was pretty great actually <laughs> yeah. Was it? yeah uh i got a few things fair enough I'm, I'm, magic gathering is pretty great magic's awesome I literally, my background on my phone is my girlfriend sitting on a Game of Thrones mocked chair made out of magic cards. So I think those are probably the three most important things in my life. Your girlfriend, Game of Thrones, and Magic, and magic. Gathering. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can say that. Sweet. Pretty confidently. That's a good backdrop <laughs> picture. It sounds like you did a good job with yeah, that. Yeah, I'll tweet it out maybe if people, people want it. Yeah, tweet <laughs> at the podcast, which let's bring that up. At the MMcast is yep. what we are. And right. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. I'm at Kess Wiley. If you follow me or have followed me or are planning on following me, I will apologize to you. I tweet about magic sometimes. There's a tremendous amount of activity on my feed that has to do with the show The 100 yeah. and also the show Fear the Walking Dead because there's an actress that has quite a large following that I have fallen into that fandom and uh, I end up tweeting about that stuff a lot. So if you were following me and you're like, I am sick of this stuff, I can't fault you. <laughs> sure, for but, sure, sure. But uh, we have a bunch of modern stuff coming up, so we'll we're probably be pretty be modern heavy over the next. I mean, so here's the deal: GPLA, and this kind of brings us into today's episode. GPLA is this is this month? Yeah, or, uh, yeah I think this month. It's May first, right? Yeah. So it's this three month, weeks May second. Yeah, yeah, three weeks. May twentieth. Uh, we live in LA, so at the bare minimum, we're going to be definitely focused on the modern format Absolutely. as much as we normally are. <laughs> there are some. There are some. There are some uh, details that have to do with that weekend. Uh, that a bunch of really exciting stuff that's kind of back and forth. We're trying to exactly figure out what's going to happen. Are we going to be working? In a coverage capacity, are we going to be playing? Are we going to be on a live podcast? There's, we will absolutely be there. It's just a question of w- in what capacity, and right. we'll let everybody know. Obviously, the week before. Well, we have like a Friday night modern event, kind of like side tournament. People like can come jump them. I'd be like kind of cool do doing like a modern that. like on Friday, yeah, where we like maybe rent out something at a hotel room or something. Sounds fun. Um, and then we can like give away swag, like some some additional swag we don't send out. If we buy some extras for the next the last month and this month, I suppose actually while you're talking, I'm going to post a poll from the Masters of Modern Account to see how many people are going to GPLA. I'm curious. Okay, I'm curious how many. So keep talking. So yeah, so I mean, we're going to do cool things. Uh, yeah, we can shout out Patreon. So I do want to remind everyone uh, we have a cool Patreon. It's pretty sweet. Uh, the, the purpose of it is so we do this out of the kindness of our own heart. We don't. We, we're not currently getting paid other than through Patreon. Um, and 
there's cool stuff we like to do extras. For instance, renting out that room at GPLA um, and other cool things. And one of the things that's on it is there's two things. So one, we plan on doing an, uh, a bonus episode or a single episode every month where we will have a deck tech. We'll do like a deck brew deck doctor episode. And we only will accept deck doctor things from Patreon subscribers. So it's normally a bonus episode because that's also one of the things we now do because of the uh, Patreon. Um, the other thing is... If you get donate the $15 level a month, you get a swag box. So generally what this is, is every month we'll pick a cool thing. Generally, it'll relate to magic in some way. So, so far we sent out the Masters of Modern Playmats. Uh, last, the, the month after that, we did um, Geist and four signed play sets of Geist and four signed play sets of Grand Architect, which if you don't know are mine and Ben's favorite cards, um, <laughs> which welcome to the podcast. You now know that uh, there's also, you know, there's some other ones on that list, but they're a little bit more expensive. So they are also affordable that we can send you. Um, also, you know, this month we're looking at, you know, maybe doing uh, Masters of Modern custom ties, uh, Masters of Modern uh, Nalgene metal or metal water bottles. So, you know, with the logo on it so that you can take that to tournaments and keep hydrated because that's something we've definitely recommended. But definitely it's on theme. Um, and if you have any cool ideas for something you want, please tweet at us at the MMCast. And I just tweeted it, so now we're good. Cool. Um, and that is at the MMCast, and then we have the Patreon. And lastly, of course, we have our sister podcast. The Command Zone. Jimmy How's Wong, it? Josh Lee Kwai. Stole Josh's line. That's what he How's says it? every time. Every time. Yeah. It's a Hawaiian thing, apparently. <laughs> it's a Hawaiian thing. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the big shout-out. So let's get on the subject. So today, we're talking about, today is going to be about the working man's way to get ready for a GP. So this isn't for pros. This isn't necessarily even for people that you know, have the vast amount of time and collection where they're trying to, like, pick which exact deck they're going to play. And, and there'll be a little bit of that, but this is definitely a little bit about taking the deck you have already and preparing over the next three weeks or the next month for a GP. I mean, yes, this is specifically for GPLA, but this is, if there's ever a major tournament or a big tournament you're working towards playing in that's modern relevant, um, this is advice on how to prepare for that tournament. So an SGG event or something else. Yeah, and, and this is kind uh, of... Pre-TQ, because pre-TQ season is coming up for modern, yeah, so well, this is also already, relevant I think we're already in it. for that season. Um, I think oh, we're yeah. already in it. But, uh, but oh, yeah, because yeah, the Pro Tour happened, you're right. So it's, yeah, I mean, so the idea is like, m many of us who listen to this podcast, or who, many of you who listen to this podcast, and us, a Alex and I, we're kind of in the same position, which is like, we play a lot of Magic. We love to talk about Magic. So, you know, some weeks will see us sort of more focused on a competitive level than others, but ultimately... We're not traveling the world to every pro tour. We're not platinum, so we don't have the time and the means to just only play magic. If we did, we'd play seven <laughs> nights a week. So this is kind of the idea that if you have a job and you have other things you're doing, how do you spend your time correctly? What should what should you be paying attention to so you can walk in the doors of that tournament and really feel like you have a shot? Um, and it's always very gratifying to actually spend that time and walk in feeling prepared because I've been unprepared. Plenty of times, so sure. I know the alternative. Right, and and so kind of the the first thing you need to do, and I kind of mentioned this, is pick your deck. Right. Um, there's a many different reasons you could go about doing this. A lot of people only have their one modern deck. That's the deck they chose to play, and that's generally, I think, the most common way people walk into this. Right. Which is also why in GPs, that's something to keep in mind too. When metagaming is GPs aren't like pro tours, um, in the sense that pro tours are generally people build decks for that event. While GPs are generally a metagame based around the people that are close by it to that GP just showing up with the deck they own and the deck they like the most. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a much more... And I think this is, in a lot of ways, why the Pro Tour was abolished. Because they didn't want it to be every time we saw Modern at the highest level, they had to kill something to mix the metagame up. Sure. They really wanted it to be, okay, when Modern's played at the highest level, for the most part, it's kind of like that 
it's like sports. It's like you know who's good, you know what their system is, you know what they're probably going to do, you know what their best player is. You're prepared for it, and you go into the match having played against those people before. It's like, you know, that's why we like to watch basketball players and tennis players sure. do their thing. And, uh, and so that is kind of cool that knowing if you like Delver right now or you like Coco, Abzan, uh, Abzan Company right now, you can just play, play that for the next month. You don't right. have to worry about changing the week months. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cause of the season. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so on that note, you know, so, so once you pick your deck and yes, there can be metagame constraints. For instance, right now I wouldn't pick a deck that's weak to collected company. Right. Um, or, or even if it is a little weak to it, make sure you have a game plan. Cause that's the other thing with modern is, and this is one of the reasons pros don't like it is modern is so diverse that being prepared for a specific matchup, you might play it once. Like when you were playing, um, Superior Burning Coco last season. Yeah. How many plans did you play against Jund when Jund was like your by far worst matchup that you were the most afraid of? I actually played Jund a fair amount of time, but more interestingly, oh, at it was the time, Twin. When Twin yeah. was the deck that it was built to beat, Twin was the deck you were like best against. Uh, I played Twin a grand total of zero times between three PPTQs over the summer. Right. So, like, metagaming in that sense isn't necessarily the best thing. And it's one of the reasons I generally say sideboard cards that are more broad in their use are more important. Um, and that's kind of the next, the next step is once you have your deck and, and, or the deck you plan on playing when you're walking into this weekend, your sideboard decisions are going to be the most important factor of how you're going to tune and change your deck moving forward. Well, because there's one really important thing, and this is as a brewer, something that I find myself doing is when I, when I build my own deck, I know the cards I want in a sideboard and I know the ones that kind of fit on theme in my sideboard. But when it actually comes to the moment where you're between games, you're figuring out how many cards okay, I have nine cards I want to add in. Nine of the cards on my sideboard here make a difference. But I don't have nine slots that I actually want to cut. Right. Which means those are sideboard slots that you could have spent on a different matchup that you would have been better off having in that side, your sideboard. Or like another interesting decision that I started really having to, to uh, mull over just before the summer started last year was my deck relied heavily on turn one, Ether Vile, and Collected Company to be able, and obviously Burning Tree Emissary, to get Mere Superior into play. So when I was playing against Affinity and I wanted to bring in four copies of Stony Silence, it was like, well, do I have to cut Ether Vial then? It doesn't make any sense right, to play right. a Vial on turn one and a Stony Silence on turn two. So that was one of those things, okay, if I'm going to cut four of my ways to get this card in play, do I cut Superians, right? Sure. How, many, how many Stony Silences do I play? Um, and those are the kind of real, real-time decisions you have to get really comfortable making um, because you'll just get kind of blindsided by them if you, in the- you theorycraft a sideboard without playing enough games. Right. Well, and that's the first step I would say you need to take is not necessarily look at which cards should be in your sideboard, but more importantly, look at which cards you either can take out or should take out in each of your matchups. So, for instance, you knew in matchups that you want to bring Stony Silence in, you have four Aether Vials you're taking out. That means you're going to bring three Stony Silence, but then you have an additional card to bring in. Right. So you need to look at which... Other, maybe it's more versatile. Maybe it's um, the what's the the hunt minus one minus one doll things or plus one plus one doll things. Oh, the creature. Yeah, your Orzhov Orzhov Pontiff. Pontiff. Maybe you have an Orzhov Pontiff for your sideboard or some other card where you bring that in. Also, because yes, it's not like there maybe for that matchup. Maybe it's there right. more for tokens or Delver or something. But it's decent against Affinity. It's decent against other art of those strategies. So bringing it in is you're gonna just hedge that this is gonna be better than my Aether Vial. Right. Um. So like. What I would recommend, and this is, and, and my best finish with a, um, and it was like X3 at a standard tournament, um, 
was GPLA, the right. last GPLA. And what I did there is I did a method called the elephant method. And this is something you generally want to do with mid-range decks. Right. Where you just, every single game you play against every deck, you play sideboarded. Sure. And then you just make a note of which cards are consistently good against the most decks and figure out what your sideboard plan is. But the way I did that is I listed out every single matchup that I could think of as a thing that would work out. Modern, obviously, is pretty vast. But maybe list the 10 top decks. Right. And then figure out, okay, in these top 10, I'm taking out these four cards, these four cards, these four cards, and then list what are the best cards against those decks and what are maybe the decent cards against those decks that you could be playing. Right. And figure out which 15 of those you want to put in your deck and then, then cover all your bases. And say you find yourself in a situation where you have 16 cards. Well, say you need cards that are good against Boggles and you need cards that are good against Affinity. So, well, like, so Stony proud. Silence is bad against Boggles. I'm so proud of you for calling it Boggles. I know, instead of Noggles, I'm yeah. getting better. Uh, <laughs> say you want, you know, but maybe instead of playing Stony Silence, you play Wear and Tear, because, right. yes, Wear and Tear is worse against the artifact decks, but it's still okay. Yeah. But now you have a card that's good against two different decks, and right. having that versatility, especially in modern, is sometimes really important. That's definitely that's definitely a lesson I started learning. Uh, is ver- versatility in your sideboard is I think so important in modern because in some formats, some some people will argue that you want high impact sideboard cards. Right. You basically just want it. You're okay. I'm going to hedge against the most important decks. I'm gonna. I'm literally just going to bring in you know three copies each of the, the highest impact cards against those decks and everything else. I'm just going to deal with. Um, I'm somebody who is less inclined to do that because you have to. The kind of decks I like to play don't like to have 8 to 10 flexible slots. Sure. They really don't like to have 8 to 10 flexible slots where I have to take out key cards. They would much rather have sideboard cards that are still kind of part of my A plan that feel like they're right. part of the brew or they're part of the deck, and they do a lot of things. Um, and that's just that tends to be how I build. So, um, yeah, anyway, anyway, I'll go back to you on that, though. No, so, I mean, that's the important thing to me is, and it's not even the line between versatile and not versatile, because something you need to know is what is my deck bad against? So say I have just a terrible affinity matchup. So, but like I'm okay against Boggles. Yeah. So in that situation, like, you know, j- uh, Junk is an example of this. Like Junk is decent against Boggles because you have four Liliana the Bale in the deck. Right. Um, not to mention Maelstrom Pulses and other things that kind of let you get rid of the multiple copies of a similar permanent. But against affinity, you have a bigger problem because for whatever reason. I don't think that's actually true of Junk. I think Junk's really good against Affinity. But sure. moving along, <laughs> the idea is maybe Stony Silence is more important in that matchup because having Stony Silence allows you to stop the Affinity opponent who's a bad matchup for you and you're already okay against Boggles, so you don't need as many. That's why it's really important to look at which cards am I taking out. Right. And what, what am I weak to? In Burn, am I weak to Burn that heavily? Yes. Okay, so do I need a Nuke? Do I need to be able to play Leyland Instinctivity? Right. Which takes up three spots out of my sideboard at a minimum to really play that card. But then as soon as I get it into play, they can't beat me because half their deck doesn't do anything. Right. Like, great. But it, that also means like, oh, I should make sure if I'm going to be playing that card, look at the other decks it's good against. This is good against Junt because all their discard gets turned off. Great. Okay, is Jund a bad matchup for me? This is good again, but this is terrible, or this, you know, now I don't have enough room sideboard slots for all these decks that I need it. So listing how many slots you need for a deck is more important to figuring out what your sideboard will be than what cards you're even choosing. Well, because the reality is, if you if you list out all of the cards that exist in Modern that, are, that you are able to play that make an impact... Um, there are far too many cards. There are far too many sideboard options that you'll, you're going to, instead of li- you know, listing out 16 cards or 20 cards, you, you can list out 60 cards. And you're going to look at all of them. You're going to say, okay, I, I could be playing this or I could be playing this. This seems like it's good in this situation. This has practical application here. But at the end of the day, what you really want to figure out is, okay, 
it's not just about the most powerful sideboard cards. It's here's my A plan. This is what I want to be doing. The best card to do what I want against their deck while not inhibiting my strategy too much is this. Even if it's intrinsically less powerful of a sideboard card, in some cases, if it fits the theme of your deck and it feels like an actual playable card, you often will want to sort of move towards that. Well, and, 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 that's, yeah. and that's ultimately why your, your actual sideboard options shouldn't be 60. You should, be, you should actually have... Like, you shouldn't be like, well, I had to cut the, the, this 15th card for this one other card, and, and you know, but ultimately I, I just cut 20 others. It should be like, you, you're looking for that 14th or 15th card that really makes sense. Right. You want it to cover the bases of everything. And if you get to a tournament and you can't decide, like, I'm fine with throwing maybe a Hail Mary or something interesting in there. But I, I, I definitely always, think... The 15th card for both of us almost is always some random, weird... Like, oh, no. My, my sideboards are normally... I always, like, am cutting a card last minute. Not, oh, really? Not adding a card last minute. Yeah. My 15th card is always like, oh, I'm going to play Golgari Charm. Or, like, oh, I'm going to play the second Profane right, That's commander. the safest like, thing to add is, like, a weird rando card. Yeah. Uh, or, like, a, a, a really diverse application card yeah um something to keep in mind in this is and especially with this method of seeing how many cards you need to take out see if there's a card that you're adding every time right do you right, add right. scavenging ooze against every deck yeah then it's like that's a card really then you should just probably put it in your main deck totally. like that's that's the other side of this is i see a lot of times people are like well i have this card here but you know i'm bringing it in pretty much every matchup and sometimes you should include it in your main deck right um the other side of this is that's not so like for instance, when I was playing Blue White Control, when I was first playing Modern, uh, I would play full counter spell suite of like four remands or three remands and four mana leaks, so some mix of seven of those spells um, with spell snares maybe. And what I'd find is pretty much every single matchup, in uh, excluding a few of them, I'd be cutting them out game two. But the reason for that was against the field, they're always decent in game one. And then you have these slots that are decent against everything in game one, but like not the best. Right. But you can fill them out with the cards that are good in those matchups. Right. Against, you know, against Tron, like, counterspells are okay, especially back in the day. Now they're great, but yeah. back in the day. But now I, like, now I cut them out and I put in uh, Land Hate or whatever other card I need to deal with Tron. Right, Because right. those cards are going to be a little bit more effective, a little bit more impactful. Well, game one, I just needed to survive long enough to see what they're doing and try and kill them. Yeah, also, like, just in, and we're, we're focusing heavily on sideboarding right now, but, um, sure. but just there is this thing that'll happen sometimes when you're, you're thinking, you're trying to get really creative about that sideboard card, and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, what should six my... Six decks, what card covers six different decks that I needed to cover? <laughs> and you'll come up with some card, like, a great example of a card that I feel like I've looked at and I've seen in sideboards, and I've kind of come up in various blue decks is uh, Kiora, Great Glass Spinner. Sure. And I always look at that card, and I'm always like, Oh yeah, like this seems this seems really good. Like this card's powerful. It's like not that aggressive, but like if I really need a resilient threat and I like need to protect my team or it's a combo or whatever it is. Oh yeah, this card's pretty good. There's a lot of things you'll discover like that that you're just like it's just not that good though. Like it's just pretty good. In Merfolk, that card is insane. Well, okay, okay. I'm not saying it's not in, in, in blue creature decks that you're trying to have like for instance if Malaria combo or Malaria Coco Abzan was like Yeah. In blue, which it's not like I can see it playing that card because it covers protecting all your things. My point with that, it's like, it's it's, like pseudo spellscape. It's not that card, but the point. My point is, it's very easy to get tricked. It's very sure. easy to get tricked when you're trying to be creative or very, trying to be clever with your sideboard options into thinking something that is just generally a good card. Like Kiora is just a good card. Like that, it's a it's a resilient threat. It's Wait, good. Kiora or Kiora, great glass spinner. Kira. Kira. Okay. Not Kiora, the crash wave, sorry. Um, Kira, great glass spinner. It's just a good card. Like, it's a powerful card. So it's 
there, you'll find a lot of things like that where you can just talk yourself into it. Like, oh yeah, I'll never be that unhappy to have this in my hand. Sure, 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 sure. And sure. it's very often not the correct decision. Yeah, fair enough. Um, beyond the sideboard, you know, once you kind of figure this out, about, and something that will help this is kind of scheduling a few times to play. So what I would say is the best idea is see if you can find a local modern tournament before that just that that isn't a PT, pre-tq isn't a gp just you know event that you're able to kind of just mess around and see how the tuning that you're doing to the deck performs in a legitimate uh competitive environment um obviously you know one or two of those before the tournament would be great and then beyond that look for just find a play group that's willing to test with you find a play group that you can play jam like 10 games with the same deck against the same deck and just take notes like, that's the big thing is note-taking. Seeing how often you win or lose. Seeing, you know, are you getting mana screwed a lot? Should you add a land? Should you subtract a land? I know Eric Wydat's had a really good advice for you on uh, tuning which, how many lands are, you need to be in a, a certain deck. Right. Uh, Eric Wydat's tuning how many... Oh, are you... T- uh, don't remember. Okay, so basically, maybe he <laughs> told me. But basically, the idea is every time you play and you get mana screwed or mana flooded, just put a little check... Oh, sure, against, sure. On, on the deck and just like a minus or a plus. And right. And if you notice that there's a lot of pluses, then maybe you should cut a land or add a man land. If you notice there's a lot of minuses, maybe you should, yeah. you know, add a land to your deck or subtract a land. Like pay attention to what you need right. for the deck to function. Um, I do uh, think this matters a little less in modern because man lands exist and they're like spell lands. On your note about uh, get the kind of games you're getting in, you know, weeks before a tournament, something, something I want to point out because... I've gone through plenty of phases in my life where I've had lots of time for this and I've gone through other phases where I've had less. And to the person who's like, okay, maybe you've got a wife or a girlfriend, maybe you've got a kid, maybe, you know, maybe you've got a job in an early morning, it's hard for you to find those multiple, multiple nights. The idea of jamming 10 games against another deck, just your deck against another matchup and actually getting through 10 and doing that against all the relevant matchups sounds kind of overwhelming, I think. Um, it very easily can because 10 games of magic does not happen in 40 minutes. 10 games of magic takes quite a while. Um, the most important thing is get in get in a few matches. Like don't call it 10, call it call it 3 to 4 against all of like the major threats. Like the five or yeah, six decks yeah, yeah. you really before you start getting into the really intricate 10, 12, 15 games if, unless you have time. If you have time that's great. If you don't have time, don't worry about it. Right. Get get in three, four, five games, play like two matches against that deck. Play them sideboarded, play them not sideboarded. And the most important thing is those tournaments you mentioned, to me, that's even more important than your play group because unless you're the kind of person that's going to get together with a play group and do that sort of 10-game type of testing, if you're the kind of person who goes to FNM and plays Magic maybe one other night of the week because you've got a lot of other stuff to do, it's really important to get that competitive environment, that edge, where you sit down and you're actually timed. You're, you're, you don't realize how much you talk to the, your playtesting partner about your sideboard decisions. You don't realize how obviously you're showing off the things you have. Like, you're not playing as tight as you otherwise would. Maybe you're not calling a judge. Like, the kind of stuff you would do if you're being competitive, you need to remember that a, a competitive environment is very important to learn that stuff. Yeah, and on that note, I do think being, like, very, very strict on yourself is really important. It's, it's almost, like, it's almost more important to me in testing that I don't just draw back up to seven Right. And it is for my opponent to, like, I'd rather me go down to five and my opponent stay at seven or go back to seven than the reverse. Because if I'm testing, the harder it is for me, the more information I'm learning and the way I can get around stuff and seeing if it's even viable to play those games. Right. Versus, 
you know, and going down to four doesn't make sense because then you're just wasting your time. But right. like playing five hand games, six hand games, and seeing how far you can go down in your deck because some decks are better than that. Burn is worse at going down to five, yeah. while Collected Company is better. While you know Jund is better because if you can go down to five, but you have Thoughtseize, Liliana, Tarmogoyf, and two lands, like yeah. great, <laughs> yeah, solid, solid <laughs> curve. Day. So like seeing what your deck is capable of doing at five cards, six cards, and keeping it strict on yourself, making it so you don't ask for forgiveness when playing, because that way you punish yourself and you learn through punishment. Right. From yourself, it's not like you know, it's not beating you, but like you're you're learning. <laughs> Is, is going to help you when you get into a competitive circle when your opponent will not let you get away with it. Right. So it's better to learn, and, and, and it, you know, it's a better learning process. Um, another thing, another important detail is is if, you, if you're jamming your deck and you're, you know, I had those nights where I, I'm sitting down with a deck I really like and I play 10 or, 15, 10 or 12 or 15 matches, and you just kind of, it's this addictive feeling. You want to just keep playing games and keep playing games and keep playing games. Um, the people you're playing against sometimes will get kind of annoyed. They, you know, they want to test their deck or what have you. They don't really want to just focus on what you're doing. Be willing to pick up another deck, another competitive deck, a good one, a deck that actually matters, and play a game or two with another deck. And then switch back to yours. It's helpful for you to play with other decks. It's also helpful to people to keep up the morale of the people you're with. Helps you understand the matchups better. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a super important lesson. The best I've done in tournaments are when I agreed to be the person, especially if I want to play a control deck or something like Absent, a mid-range deck where there's controlly elements, being the person who's willing to play burn, like play through the gauntlet against people is going to be almost more useful than even playing your deck, those extra 10 to 100 games, as long as you get some play with that deck because those are decks that matter that you know what your opponent's doing. Right. If I know all the tricks and outs that burn has and I'm playing control, I can play around those or stop them. If I'm playing against... Uh, in fact, and I'm playing junk, then it's good that I know which threats are more important to kill than not. Like, Glistener Elf doesn't matter as much because I have Tarmogoyf and it's just going to block it. But, right. you know, a, the unblockable one needs to get killed immediately. Otherwise, I lose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, and that's a whole other, that's a whole other subject is the idea of playing against decks that are, like, let's take the example of a couple that were super all in, like Amulet when it was legal. It's a good example of a deck. It's like it's very hard to test against a deck like that, because ultimately, those decks. When I mean, what, do they have it or not? Do we have anything in Magic right now in Modern that is that is that kind of level of oppressive? I mean, I guess Affinity is very all in. Oh, oppressive or or uh, all in? Glass Cannony. Glass Cannony. Affinity is pretty. Storm is a little bit there. Um, it's obviously not tier one. If it, I would say, I would say. Um, in fact, is probably the closest currently, or maybe the Goryeo's Vengeance decks. Yeah, the Goryeo's Vengeance decks. Those are the two decks. quickest decks in modern. Well, it's because it's another thing to to like. This has happened to me before. I, I get like really down on whatever I'm playing because I play a few matches against one of those type of decks, and that deck will come out. Malira combo can combo on turn three now. Yeah, but that deck. I mean, that's that's not what that deck's about. Sure, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also, talking about. I would say they're pretty resilient. <laughs> Any hate against them for different reasons. But yeah, continue. the kind of decks I'm talking about are the ones that, like, 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 like Infect really feels like that sometimes. If you don't know you're playing against Infect, you have an a, your A plan from whatever strategy it is you have. You keep a hand you think is pretty good with your A plan. They come down, they have the like the piece of protection, and they just kill you on turn three. Like, very, it can very easily happen. Turn three, turn four with that deck is not hard to imagine whatsoever. Oh, yeah. And it's very important to remember, like, yes, you, you should be aware of that. You should absolutely be aware of that. But they, the, the reason they ban things like Amulet 
is because they don't want decks that are that kind of consistently unfair. Well, and, and the issue with Amulet and that consistency, and the reason, in fact, to be totally honest, has survived, is because Amulet did this without using creatures. Right. The fact that they want Modern to be a format where playing multiple Lightning Bolts, Path to Exiles, and Abrupt Decays allows you to interact with those fast decks. Like, if I have Path, it's a lot harder for Infect to beat me. If I have Lightning Bolt, it's yeah. a lot harder. And they can play around it, and they can have, you know, Hexproof giving spells or Protection from Color giving spell, you know, whatever right. they have. But there's a play around creatures, and that's why Infect is allowed to survive. To be totally honest, that's probably why Gorio's Vengeance is allowed to survive, partly because of creature hate, but also partly because the other access it seems like they're a little bit more okay on is the Graveyard. Right, there, right that makes sense. They've now printed enough, like, with Scavenging Ooze and Rest in Peace, um, there's enough good main deckable graveyard hate and, like, easily sideboardable graveyard hate. Graveyard hate? Graveyard hate? What are you hate. saying? Hey, I was hit by a card. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, graveyard hate that it allow. I think got boggles right. Maybe it just mixed what rocks. It saying. just what knocked the rock to the yeah. other side. Yeah. Uh, the you know, there's enough main deckable or good graveyard hate that they're a little bit more willing to let graveyard strategies be a little stronger. And they you know, so far they've unbanned two of the most graveyard cards ever printed. Yeah, and both have done minimal things to the format. What you're saying, ancestral vision, just because it, it's no, no, Thopter sword and. Uh, Golgari Grave Tool. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Right. Both of those rest in peace wrecks. Yeah. Um, and other graveyard head wrecks, and both of those are currently yeah. not doing tons of things in the format. I, I love that we're moving towards a, a place where like more and more of the oppressive cards are just being unbanned and modern. Well, it's interesting that almost every single time nothing has happened. Nothing's happened, yeah. I wonder why that is. Because modern's diverse, and it's like... Ancestral Visions is possibly slightly too slow, though I think Ancestral Visions will get better. That's a card that I think over time will just... Like, the thing people... I think the two cards are doing differently. I think Thopter Combo yeah. is having is being hit really heavily by the fact that Stony Silence exists in the format. And you yeah. have Affinity, Thopter Combo decks, and um, the deck that makes you mill cards and locks you out of the game. Lantern. Lantern Control. That was a nice little song for everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the... Makes it so you need rest and peace, or right. need, need stony silence in your deck. Sure. Where I think ancestral visions makes the type of decks that are good with it aren't good in formats that aren't like somewhat solved, or at least you know what's coming at you. Right. So right now it's having problems because a the format is aggressive because people are generally more aggressive in in new formats. B the format is new, so being able to prepare for every matchup as much as you'd like to is hard. And C. Abzan decks are really good against it. Like right now, what I would say the best deck, the the zero, level zero deck, what you know, what we said for the Pro Tour was Eldrazi, right. is Abzan Company decks. Yeah, Abzan Company decks are and, really good. So and Abzan Company is so good against Ancestral Vision decks. It's so funny how consistent those decks are and how similar they are to the old Birthing Pod decks. Well, they're 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 the Birthing Pod decks. They just sided out four Birthing Pods and put in four Collected Companies. And Collected Company in some ways faster. I mentioned before Birthing Pod decks. Unless you, you could curve out perfectly to have that turn three. If you got all three pieces of the combo and the lands you need, you could curve out perfectly, get infinite life on turn three. Sure. Right now, you need one of your Birds of Paradise cards right. or Noble Hierarchs. You need Collected Company, and you need one of the three pieces. Or you need one of the two drop pieces or the one drop piece, and you pretty much can win on turn three. Right. Or you have infinite life on turn three consistently. But the whole reason it's so good is because it's not glass cannony. It's at the point. Every is not, card is good and resilient or yeah. redundant. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, you you wasted a lightning bolt on my kitchen finks. Yeah, those old those old abs index man. That's like they've been doing the same kind of stuff for a long time. That shell is really good. You need some type of value engine involved. Small, small creatures, ETB effects, and Gavany Township. And Everything you're good to is go. value. Like every card that every card in the deck is either hyper value, a tutor, or viscerousier. How many <laughs> how many townships get played now in the current lists? Township. Yeah. I have the one that won the uh, SGG event recently. Three. Card's so good. Yeah, that's part of it. Like, you get Township with all of these cards. Like, just eventually, while I'm trying to stop them from comboing, and this was true with Birthing Pod, they can just beat me down with Kitchen Finks and Township. Like, yeah. and bird, like, like, the Birds of Paradise that are now three fours. Yeah. Just like, oh, right. I have to worry about so many different angles from this deck. And that's why this deck is good. Plus, it has Quarter Calling. So, like, pretty much once it gets to turn three, there's, you know... Any card they could need in a specific matchup, they have the ability to go find it. So are you Affinity? Well, great. Here's my Artifact Tate. Are you playing Tokens? Well, here's my Orzhov Pontiff. Are you playing... You know, like, there's right. so many different one-ofs. Linvala against decks that have activations. The, 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 trick just is so just, the trick is just play a Torpor Orb deck with Cloud Form so you can, like... <laughs> well, and, Hunted and, Horror. And I do and think there are a few different ways. And actually, you know, depending on how much time we have when we get talking, we actually might do a deck tech on this deck, so we should save that maybe a little bit for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I would recommend printing out a proxy list. And there's ways to do it so you can do multiple decks in one on one thing. So, like, instead of having the yeah. art, you just have the name of the cards, and there's, like, a one, a two, a three, a four, and a five, and a six, and you can shuffle it up. Um and I forget what that's called. So someone tweet at us, and we'll we'll tweet it out. Uh, but basically, you proxy out six decks. You make your gauntlet, and you know, Abzan Company, Burn, Infect, even include an Infinity List. Like, go to the SCG event and like make Jund. Like, there's enough of these decks that you can kind of figure out what you need to be able to be ready for. Tron. There's two green red Tron lists in the top ten. Like, be ready for these decks because these are decks you're going to play against and learn them. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you be, like being will like being the guy who's testing those for other people isn't going to hurt you as long as you make sure you also get some time with the deck you're going to play. Also, like the, the lesson that I've learned is is that as much as I get annoyed having to play, like playing cards, I don't like to play because I'm like somebody who very much likes to play Magic the way I like to play Magic. I don't like playing decks I don't like, but good decks are sweet. <laughs> so like yeah. you start you pick up like a control deck and like you're winning and you're just like oh I wasn't into this style but like these cards are all really good and this works really well this right. is pretty the fun the first time you turn three kill someone with infect you're just like oh right yeah this is why this deck is unfair this is really powerful yeah, yeah exactly definitely really fun um so you, you pick a deck so let's go over what you know pick what your deck is right test play with it a little bit and, and normally what I recommend this is what this is a recommendation for is that person who's already has their deck and already has a feel for kind of what that deck does. Right. Because um, they have one or two decks. You know, test it against things. And then figure out your sideboard. Like, I want to hammer at this again. The sideboard is the most important tool you have in modern. For a tournament like that. Well, for so a tournament like a GP or a pre-TQ so where you're let's, eight rounds. Let's talk week of. Let's talk week of the event. Because okay. there's, the, there's the weeks leading up to it as you're, you're, you're going to be at Facebook chats. You're going to be on Twitter. Yeah. You're going to be reading articles. You're going to be getting all kinds of information in your head. Well, yeah, well, that, that's another resource I guess we don't talk about often. But go on YouTube and just watch Channel Fireball or, uh, you know, whatever pro starts the games if you... you if you have a premium, but watch, just like watch your favorite pro or a pro play through the deck you're going to play. Right. If it exists out there, just doing one of their eight mans. Cause like the amount of stuff I've learned for this podcast and gameplay from just watching these guys who are much better than me play through the decks and make the decisions that they're making. Right. And the better I get, it makes you, it makes you so much better. Right. Absolutely. And so when you get to the week of, you're, you're going to, week of a big event, like week of GPLA, 
Channel and Star City, they're going to all write such and such this in modern. This is the thing in modern. They're going to write modern articles to get you excited to read those articles. They're, they're important to read. You know, get the information. You'll, you'll, they'll share some stuff with you that you'll be like, oh, that's a, that's a really valuable, useful tool. I always get information from those things, and I'm always very thankful that I've read them. But don't read them and feel like because Owen Turtenwald says something or Sam Black writes about this innovative idea or Patrick Chapin says X, Y, or Z is the best card in modern, don't do the thing where you overreact and lose confidence or faith in what you've been planning for that whole time because there's nothing more important to winning a tournament than just being comfortable with the deck. Like, deciding at the beginning of the week, like, this is 100% what I'm sticking with. I've tested the last two weeks a little bit. I've played, you know, four or five nights of Modern. Now I've got, you know, this week, you're going to try to get in two, three more nights, including maybe a tournament on Friday before the tournament starts. And you just want to make sure, if you're playing Zoo, you're jamming games of Zoo, you know the ins and outs of Zoo, there's no, there's no chance you're going to read about some innovative new deck and Audible on Friday, unless you're the kind of person that can do that sort of thing. Pros do that sort of thing because they're very, very, very proficient. They have a lot of time. They know all the decks. They test a ton. They do the thing where they're playing the other deck all the time. So for them, it's not that hard to play another deck. For you, granted you, I don't know who I'm talking to here, but the, most of us, most of the listeners of this podcast, the I world, assume, yeah, stick with a deck. Learn it, play it a lot, and try to get in three or four nights the week of the tournament. Well, that's, that's, why, that's why Birthing Pot took so longer to, like be realized. I mean, yes, there were cards being printed in it that make it better every time, like, you know, uh, voice resurgence, etc. But one of the reasons it took long for everyone to realize this is by far the best deck in the format is because it was a hard deck to play. Same with Collected Company, to be totally honest. Collected Company is a hard deck to play. You have to know every card in your deck. You need to know what you're looking for, what the matchups you need specific bullets for against. Like, there's a lot of play here. And... You know, it takes a year, a year of practice where, you know, these guys where Joseph Presnell was jamming this deck and learning it made it so by the time he got to this point, he's really good with it. So, and I've always said this with Modern, pick a deck and get good at it Stick before with it. you yeah. venture to other decks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So now let's, now let's talk about, you've done your prep, you've gotten your sideboard, you've put it together, you know, you're, you know what you're going to play. You're going to go into nine rounds day one. So maybe this is your first GP. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever gone into a GP really thinking like, I have a shot to do something. Um, your first goal should be day two. Day twoing a GP is a hard thing to do. That is, yeah, you're not trying to spike this GP. You're trying to play in it to yeah. get to day two. Day two of a GP is a big I mean, accomplishment. Maybe you're trying to spike a GP. I'm going to try spiking it. All of, our, all of our buddies here that are on every Pro Tour now, when, they, when we knew them all at the beginning, when they were just starting to get a little more serious and playing a bit more modern, guys we've had on here, Eugene and Andrew, those guys all started out as limited players who... I remember when they all day two'd their first couple GPs. Like there was like a bunch of them that day two'd a GP, and it was like a big deal. Like I remember that was a big deal. So if you're not somebody who's ever done that, set that as your goal. Just make day two. And the other thing is, remember, every single match, every single match is its own tournament. If you lose the first, if you lose the first match of the day or the second match of the day, don't let it get you down. You can't go on tilt. Bring plenty of water. Bring snacks. Get a good night's sleep. And take every single one of those matches as its own tournament. Because like you're going to go against people who are noobs. You're going to go against people who make mistakes. You're going to go against people who are false, like super, super false sense of self-confidence, who think they're really good, but in fact aren't. 
All you gotta do play against the guy that's playing only Affinity has only played Affinity, but then like took it to a tournament where everyone's jamming four Stony Silences in if, the sideboard. If you three zero or four zero your first matches and you sit down across from a pro who you actually recognize, this happened to me a few years back against Shuhei Nakamura. I remember it was the first time I ever played against like a big pro. Sure, I got totally rattled, totally <laughs> rattled. Super nice dude, totally rattled. Like don't let that happen to you. They're all just Magic players. They're they're just well, and we've, we've I've talked about this before. GPs are. More meant to be like giant magic nerd conventions than they are even to be. I mean, they're meant to be serious tournaments, and you should take them seriously. But have fun. I had more fun at GP Vegas, messing around, going to the different booths, seeing people that knew yeah. who we were, going to the the. I played Werewolf with a bunch of pros one night. Yeah, we hung out with Jimmy and Josh, and 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 went to the Commander night. Like there was a bunch of cool playing craps with Corbin Bressler. Like yeah, there was all these cool stuff we did. Oh, really Chauser, cool. Sorry, Hauser. Hausler, yeah. yeah. It's it's Ruben Bressler, Corbin Hausler. Yeah, Hausler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> but, you know, like, that was podcasting on the road back. Like, going to one of these GPs is really fun. And we're, we're definitely going to talk about these, like, what is a GP, stuff like that, maybe when we get closer. But we wanted to bring up ahead of time, like, this is the time, this ahead of a tournament that you're looking forward to is the time to start thinking about that tournament. That's we'll, important to you. We're going to do, we'll do a special episode, like a bonus episode week of the tournament that Monday. And it'll be like a full, like h- how to, how to do this tournament. These are like our 10 tips. And then yeah, here, 10 tips for a GP, 10, ten t- tips for a GP. It'll be like 10 tips for a GP and it'll be, and then it'll also be like the state of modern. This is what you should be paying attention sure. to. We'll do that the, probably two weeks from now. Yeah. That'll be that week's episode. Right. So um, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's, that's the bulk of my, Getting ready for GP advice. Do you have anything else to lay down? No, uh, I, we didn't mention it, but if you are testing, remember just proxy, just proxy up. Like yeah. it's it's not a like. Don't be concerned about. Oh, nothing. here's something, and this is something that has wrecked friends of mine. I'm always okay because I'm I'm pretty good at getting my cards ahead of time. But two things: a never assume that the dealers will have the cards you need. Oh the yeah, GP you're going to. Yep. Never assume. B never buy the cards you need for your deck at the GP on the day of the GP order from the websites of card dealerships that are going to be at that GP or that tournament, like figure out who deal. If you're going to a pre TQ, go to that store ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and order from them online or however else you can order them ahead of time. Yeah. Either they'll be out or you'll just get gouged. Right. So like if I, if you know, say you buy 10 stony silence or five, you know, the four stony silence you need before the tournament online, you can get them right now for around $12. But day of the tournament, they might be at 18 because they know every single person in the room needs four. And, and they sold out, and first, they thing sold out first thing in the morning. So they start buying them up. Like, it's, you're just going to save a lot more money. Just pre-order, go on SCG because they're going to be at the GP or go to you know, Channel Fireball because they're going to be at the GP. Yes, their prices may be a little high, but find all the cards you need and just order them ahead of time. Because ha- like there's an option to say pick up at a GP. Yeah. They'll have a little stack of the cards you need and you'll be golden. Yep, and there's no reason to to put yourself in a position where you are going to be either screwed over by price gouging because it's you know for the GP. It's like buying you know if I could take a bagged lunch to Disneyland instead of paying fifteen dollars for a right. plate of fries and not <laughs> have to eat it in the picnic area to the left of the front door. Right, like <laughs> I was literally just there this week, and that's oh, like yeah. they're, then they're like they're like you're more than welcome to have outside food, but please eat it in the picnic area to the left of the front door. It's like right. I.e., you can't bring in food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, way better option. 
Yeah, much better. Way better. Uh, all right. So I, I think we don't have time for the whole collective company thing, but we went over it a little bit. Yeah. I think so. I do want to talk about What do you want to talk about? Game of Thrones or Civil War? Or both? <laughs> Let's, Let's do a small Civil War. Let's, Let's get Game of Thrones. All right. Game of Thrones. I haven't right. seen Civil War yet. So spoilers for Game of Thrones episode Home that came out on Sunday. Please come back to us once you watched it because we are about to spoil. If like, you don't know the titles of the episodes, this was the second episode of season six. Yes. Uh, and theoretically spoilers for the last episode of season and if you're one of those people who like can't remember where you were and you you're like did I hear it the episode that ended with a character looking very very old is the one pre- previous to this oh sure yeah yeah and you'll know what so, we're talking about if you've seen it and if you very very old markedly old okay so spoilers <laughs> out there you've been warned Jon Snow is back alive yeah. yeah, that happened way earlier than I thought it was going to happen in episode three. You Not thought it was way earlier. later in the season. I thought it was episode three or episode four with episode three being like Bran doing flashbacks the whole right. time if they wanted to stretch it to episode sure, four. Sure, sure. But no, he's back. Yeah, Jon Snow's back. Um, also, Roose Bolton is a bastard, as we all knew yep. <laughs> in many ways. Yep. Uh, and uh, Roose Bolton is dead. He's yes, dead. that character. Such a bastard. Well, that I mean, Ramsey Bolton killed Roose Bolton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so that's John Snow. That's a that's a big you know one. What Hodor's name was Willis. Yeah, yeah. And and we're we're to believe that at and some point he said multiple words. Something happened. I'm assuming a horse like kicks him in the head. Yeah, we'll probably never know. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if we see it. Like, I don't feel like you focus on Hodor the way that. Well, maybe they do because of fan service. Maybe because I could definitely see them being like people some, like Hodor. Like a lot. one of the reason Ned Stark was all about honor was because he somehow got Hodor injured in some way. In some way. Like as a dumb kid, because dumb kids do dumb I things. I miss Ned Stark so much. We're gonna get, we're gonna get. Not, I don't know if it's gonna be Sean B. Ned Stark. It might be, but we're we're gonna get more of him this season for sure. Oh really? Yeah. So there's been like in the trailers, even the trailer for this episode, for the next episode, yeah. they show uh, more flashbacks. I think yeah, more flashbacks, and like hmm. one of them is the Tower of Joy, which I think we'll get into in this spoil. Uh, but uh, there's gonna be a secondary spoiler moment where I talk about like what I think the future of this show is going to sure. be. And I think we're going to get to that, but that's a flashback that involves Ned Stark. Got it. Um, so I think we're going to get young Ned Stark a few times. That'd be awesome. Um, I still just miss Sean Bean. Yeah, Sean Bean's the yeah. best. Oh, he, they might get Sean Bean. There's no reason why they couldn't, theoretically. He would have to be close enough to his original character's age, though. Sure. I mean, 10 years. Uh, yeah, I can see what you're saying. I mean, it's six years yeah. since he filmed it, and he was already an older-looking dude. Sure. Oh, I, I would say if we get it, it's not going to be that scene, but I think we'll get, like, we could get a, a Sean Bean, like, Right before Game of Thrones, yes, like more like him, like maybe planning on telling Jon Snow who his parents are or like something. Or his mom, yeah. Um, How did you feel about the dragons being unchained? I thought it was sick. I love Tyrion. Yeah, like, I, awesome. like last, my, I think my favorite scene from last season was Tyrion talking to Daenerys. Yeah, it was just good. like they had that when they were just like it was literally them sitting like in her yeah. bedroom just having a conversation. I was like, I can't stop. I could watch this as a show. I was very <laughs> surprised that they didn't give us any Daenerys this episode. Uh, they normally do that where they like they jump around. Yeah, we didn't get any brand the first episode. We still haven't got any Sam. Yeah, um, true. They'll, they'll normally do like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's too many characters to do all in one episode, and that's kind of like my complaint about the first episode this season was it was all these characters yeah. the whole time. Yep. Um, do you think Jon Snow is like some sort of weird zombie type of Jon Snow? No. So I think Jon. I think okay. So like in the books, I am a book reader. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of Jon Snow. There's a lot, probably a lot of like extra work they're putting in to make it so when Jon Snow comes back, he's going to be a normal person. Yeah. Like Jon Snow has the same ability as Bran where he can like warg into his dog and like become in the like book. in the book. Yeah. Um, it's used much less. Yeah. Um, and like Rob uses it more fully even. Got it. Um, but 
in the books, it's definitely led to believe that like Jon Snow would like warg into Ghost for once he dies. Like they like even have an extra chapter that like yeah. the prologue of that book is like a guy, the guy, the other warg that we see who like yeah, works right. for the 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 wildlings. Yeah, like dead inside of his like crow that he controlled. Yeah. Um, that I don't think they have to do in the show. Hmm. Like, I th- like, and the idea is that he works in the ghost until he gets re-risen, and then he works out a ghost back into his right. body. Like, that just sounds like so much exposition that Jon Snow's just going to be sitting there being like, "I was in ghost, and now I'm in my body." Like, I don't. I think they're just going to be like, "Okay, you're back." Like, the Red Woman brought you back to life. Great. Let's I move. think he's going to be like a weird, like weird, zombie like dude. zombie out of it creature. Like, I don't think he's going to be like a straight zombie, but I just think he, there's going to be some stuff where you're just like, "Oh, Jon Jon Snow's really not normal." He's like, it sounds like he's so like in the preview trailer, it has like Davos being like, "They think you're a god." Like to, to oh. I don't think you have that kind of conversation with someone who's like. That's exciting. A zombie. <laughs> but what I do think is going to happen is I think we're going to get some sweet bastards of the North War action. I think uh, Ramsey Bolton's going to march up with an army. What what I like blatantly think is going to happen right. is Ramsey's going to like conscript the Car Starks and like some of the other bannermen of the Starks yeah. to have him go attack the wildlings at the Wall and Jon Snow. They're going to get there first off. Jon Snow already has his army of giants and wildlings. Yeah, but then like once. The other guys realize that Jon Snow is like risen as this Stark warrior super right, person. Right, they're going to um, switch sides, and it's going to be like Ramsay by himself with his Bolton army, and then just like all of the North is going to just like rain down upon him, and hopefully someone like Sansa or Brienne just like cuts him open. So we, we I'm so excited for Sansa and Jon Snow to see each other. By the way, I'm so excited so for long. Sansa to see any family member. <laughs> Do we think it's really going to happen? I think it'll, I mean... You think she'll get there? I think, so there are only 13 more episodes after this season that the, the showrunners have said and HBO has said that they'd rather this not be true. Right. That they think they have enough content for 13 more episodes after this season. Got it. So we have to get moving along towards... Story. Like, and that's why I think so much stuff happened in this last episode. Yeah. Just because, like, they're getting to the point where they need to make stuff happen. Yeah. I don't really understand how that's possible Cause, because uh, he hasn't... George R. R. Martin hasn't written... Past where? Where is, where is his story ended? Uh, basically last season. There's a few things we're missing. Like all the stuff we're going to see with the Greyjoys basically is yeah. in the books and we haven't seen yet. And then... But basically like a lot of the, the TV writing now is like fresh writing. Like what Sam, did, what Sam is up to was yeah. kind of in the books also. So with that in mind, it's like it's such a massive property for HBO. How could they not just extend it? Like what, how much money do you have to pay these people to just keep making the show? Because it feels like you could well, make the show for five more seasons easily. I think from the perspective of the showrunners, they kind of want to, A, it's exhausting. What I think will happen is yeah. I think they're going to wrap it up, but they're going to like they'll keep like up a movie the world or something. of Game of Thrones. Oh, there'll be like a spinoff or they'll something? Be like a, I know that George R. R. Martin is working on with HBO to do some prequel stuff, some yeah. prequel movies, and maybe even a pre- I, I heard they're working on adapting. So th- we'll get into this because this is the last piece I want to talk about here. Yeah. Is, we were at 50 minutes. We can get yeah. to it. We have 10 minutes. So Jon Snow, who his parents are. So this is extra spoiler zone. So this is spoilers upon spoilers. So if you like, yeah, these are all theories. I don't know any of this for sure, but yeah. I'm definitely like a little bit, if you ha- couldn't tell during this conversation, researched on this yes. subject matter. Uh, and for those who are waiting, L plus R equals just J is what we're going to be discussing. Do you know this at all? No, you okay. just talk at me. All right. So. Do you know the whole story about why Robert Baratheon became king? 
Uh, I mean, I think they allude to it a lot. Yeah, yeah, they, they've explained it on the show. This isn't spoiler for the show. Uh, I, I believe so. I think it's right. It's like the and this is relevant to what we saw in Brand. Aegon Targaryen gets killed by Jaime Lannister, and then somebody walks in and like somebody has to like walk in and sit on the throne. It's supposed so that's to be Ned's, the end of it. Yeah, it's supposed to be Ned Stark, but he didn't want to do it, so Robert did it. So Ned Stark had a sister. We saw her in the last episode. She kind of a Arya-esque character, like, willing to, like, hang out with the boys and do her kind of boy, like, you know, not necessarily, like, a Sansa I-want-to-be-a-princess-like character. So she is promised to Robert Baratheon to be married. Like, the idea is that Robert Baratheon will marry her, and Robert Baratheon, like, loves her. So then, while this is all happening, Rhaegar Targaryen, who is Daenerys's older brother, the one that died and caused the whole thing, uh, is married to uh, the Viper's wife, or, you know, sister, well, and, and Ned Stark's sister's name is the one that Lyanna Stark, and that's but that's the one that he said to Cersei in bed in one of the early episodes. She's like, "Our night of our wedding, you called me Cersei, or you called me Lyanna." Yes, yes, yeah, that's who right? Robert said. One, yeah, because yeah, right, right. Robert was like in love with her. Right. So there's this tournament. Rhaegar Targaryen's there. He wins the whole thing. When you win a tournament, this is in season one. You like get to name the lady of the tournament or whatever. Rhaegar Targaryen is the Daenerys's older brother who died the, before the show started. No, no, he he died. That's, in the first season. No, that's Vise, 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 Viserys. Oh, gotcha. Targaryen. Different. They, they, there's, there's Rhaegar, Viserys, and Daenerys. Got it. Rhaegar is the oldest. He's the Mad King's son and the, the rightful heir to the throne before he was killed. Got at it. the end of this story, I'm going to tell you. So he wins the tournament. And instead of naming his wife, who was the uh, Oberyn Martell, the guy who died by the mountain crushing his head, right. sister, he gives it to uh, Lyanna Stark. Got it. He gives it to Ned Stark's sister. And literally during that tournament, kidnaps her. Got it. And that's what the whole war was about. So basically, Ned Stark's then dad and brother, older brother, who we saw in this one, go down to King's Landing. The Mad King, who was Rhaegar's dad and the king at the time, burns them both alive for all intents and purposes. It's a little bit more brutal, but whatever. Then Ned Stark, then he's like, I want to kill Ned Stark and Robert Baratheon. And instead, Ned Stark and Robert Baratheon are like, oh, let's just revolt yeah. with John Aaron. And like they like take over everything. Right. So long story short, Rhaegar, Robert fight each other. And in the, pretty much the, sh- the books and up to the show, everyone's like, Rhaegar is a, is a bastard, he's a kidnapper, he's a terrible villain. But every other piece of information we know about this guy is that he's the nicest guy on the planet. Got it. He's like a good guy, he loves everyone, the people loved him. Huh. So the theory is, is that he didn't kidnap Lyanna? Ned's sister, he eloped with her. Got it. So the Targaryens, A, are all about having multiple wives. Right. And it's allowed. And there is some theorizing that there's a there's a prophecy he was trying to fulfill but sure. basically the idea is he kidnapped her they married each other and they had a kid and that's Jon Snow and that's Jon Snow got it and so Jon Snow is not Ned Stark's son because Ned Stark is all about all that honor yeah he's not gonna right. have a bastard kid it's the one thing everyone points out like yeah you're honorable except for that bastard kid you got right like he didn't. He's covering up Lyanna Stark's kid because he knows that Rhaegar, uh, Robert Baratheon would have murdered Jon Snow because he was a Targaryen. And right. technically the heir to the throne because... So in, in you that have, you sense... Have the Mad King, oldest son is Rhaegar, and Rhaegar's only son at this point is Jon Snow. Is Jon Snow. So the theory that people have had for a long time that Jon Snow and Khaleesi are related is correct. Is what you think? Yeah, it was, I, I think Jon Snow... The story is called A Song of Ice and Fire. And a lot of people think it's Jon Snow and Daenerys are the ice and the fire. Got it. But I also think it's representative of Jon Snow is the unification of the Starks and the Targaryens hmm. being both of them. Yes. And then the eventual ruler of everything. But like everyone's going to be dead by the time they actually unify anything. Yeah. Well, the, well I feel like <laughs> dragons versus White Walkers, dragons win, right? 
Yeah, but I mean, it's just like everybody's just dying. Like all the characters. Oh, yeah. That's the only, I, I have to say, as, as awesome as the Game of Thrones is, and as much as I like it, and I've watched it since the beginning, I've, I, I adore sure. the show. Um, it's just a bummer to like, not all characters are created equal on television. Like this is like, yeah. this is the conversation I had with somebody recently about Fear of the Walking Dead versus Walking Dead. The idea being that, you know, with Walking Dead, they got lucky. They created a show people really loved, a bunch of characters people really loved. They developed those characters really well, and it was based on a comic book. So, like, they had the source material to go off of, and they, they were able to make something really, really good. Whereas, like, with Fear the Walking Dead, it's like people's criticism is that, well, okay, you get to cast better actors from the beginning because you know this is a huge property, but there's no source material. So you're literally creating something, and you have to give us characters that we like. If you give us characters we don't like, it's going to be a failure. Sure. With Game of Thrones, it's like, it's all based on source material, but, like, there's so many all, characters. Yeah. There's so many characters that, like, sometimes I'm like, well, yeah, Tyrion's amazing, and Ned Stark was great, and, like, there's a lot of great characters, but there's also a lot of characters where I'm just like, this falls a little flat for me. And the reason they're getting so much screen time is because this other character that I used to really like on this show is now dead. Well, and other characters that I also like... Ramsey versus Joffrey. Joffrey was great. Watching Joffrey, he was evil. Yes. And, I'm, and, and you wanted him to die. But when he died, I was kind of sad because this is a great character I like watching. Ramsey. I'm so excited for this guy to die. It's going to yeah, be the greatest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I just like, and, and that, that's, I think, one of the tougher things about killing your characters so frequently. But whatever. I mean, that's a small criticism. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's pretty much it on my end for theories and stuff. So yeah. I think that's rough. If you have, if I miss something on the L plus R equals J theory, you want to shout out me, uh, I definitely think we need to, you know, go to at Kess Wiley. So my Twitter for Game of Thrones conversations. I will talk for hours there so clearly definitely, definitely tweet at me. uh we'd even get into if I, that i think uh the hound is still alive we won't oh my goodness <laughs> um beyond that make sure to follow us on twitter we're at the mmcast i'm ben bateman media twitter or instagram uh you know we're gonna actually we'll probably next monday is our live episode so make sure to tune in next monday for our live episode. we'll spend next weekend posting uh more like information, information. yeah exactly. um, oh big question for everyone please tweet at us if you think if would you rather us do it in the evening time or because we're thinking of maybe actually streaming during during like more of the morning time and day so that like 11 a.m. maybe or something like that. Um, so let us know if you think that's a cool idea. Uh, make sure to check out the command zone. Make sure to check out the Patreon. And uh, yeah, that's kind of all I got for the shout outs. That does it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>